Christine. Hi, Philippos. Welcome to the Marvel Talks. Yay. <laughs> I'm so glad to be here. And by the way, I love your book. That Mar Marvel stands for, that acronym was brilliant. And I love your book. I just wanted to say that. Thank you so much. Uh, coming from you means a lot. Uh, that's why I, I, I am trying to use consistency in my branding. You know, the podcast is also called Marvel. Uh, and yeah, it's it's a nice way to keep inspired and self-motivated as well, I can mm -hmm. say, by having some sort of uh, consistency in your communication. Mm -hmm. So uh, let me say a few things to our viewers. Uh, I'm really happy to have uh, Christine with us because we share quite a few interesting and compelling theme themes in common. Mm -hmm. around motivation, around uh, management, leadership. So uh, it's, I'm really thrilled to have this podcast. Let me just say that we will cover uh, the following bullets in our talk. Hopefully, we will have the time to go through them. First of all, we will see what's the road to career success, according to uh, Christine's uh, elaborate work and experience. Then how to achieve great career clarity and execute a winning job search. And there we will circle around um, UMAP, which is one of the fundamental pieces uh, in Christine's uh, work. Then we will move into my favorite topic of motivation and engagement in the workplace. And we will also try to touch on a few common management mistakes which erode, let's say, uh, employees, loyalty, and they lead into higher rates of employee turnover, mm -hmm. which circles around uh, another great book of Christine, Your Team Loves Mondays, right? That's a, that's a title, is it correct? That's correct. Which is a management book. And this is more or less the thematic content of the talk. Let me simply begin by saying a few words about Christine. Christine Sherry is a globally recognized career expert. She is a winner of the 2020 Career Innovation Award by Career Directors International. Congrats. Thank you. That's a very recent, right? It's a recent. Uh, yeah, I just won that award. Uh, yeah, a couple of weeks ago. It was super exciting. I was on, on a meeting when the email popped up and I screamed in the person's ear. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. She is also the creator of the UMAP career profile, which uncovers the four pillars of career fit. She's an international speaker, a trainer, an author of two Amazon international bestsellers, UMAP and Your Team Loves Mondays, right? She's a managing partner of UMAP LLC that certifies coaches, career services, um, and HR professionals as UMAP coaches and workshop facilitators. Facilitators. Have I missed anything 
out. I mean, your CV is so long, we can spend the whole, the whole podcast. <laughs> Which would be it. very boring for us and the <laughs> listeners. <laughs> I think the, do you think the bullets cover the... Yeah, that sounds, like, that sounds like my, my work. Yep. <laughs> Fantastic. How was really, the... Really, I'm just passionate about helping people live out their potential. That's the short version. That's, that's a nice blurb as well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how do you experience the COVID madness and the lockdown? Do you still have the sort of strict lockdown rules where you live? Is it North Carolina? Yeah, I live in North Carolina. So our cases have never dipped down yet. We haven't had mm. the downward trend. They're still rising. Okay. And so after the lockdown, we had phased opening. So we had phase mm. one for a few weeks. And that was you could you could go out of your house places to other people's homes, for example. Um, and then they had faced, and I think you could have indoor gatherings of up to 10 people and outdoor gatherings mm. of up to 25. And then phase two happened and we're in phase two, but because our cases are spiking, they've extended phase two for two weeks. We were supposed mm. to move into phase three, but we're not mm. because of the spikes. So we've got a rise in hospitalizations as well as cases. So um, I actually kept saying to my husband, I just need the lockdown to last a few mm. more weeks, a few more weeks, because I was writing um, Maximize 365, oh. uh, uh, a, a year of practical tips to transform your life. I was writing that during the lockdown. And if I get a change in my routine, it throws me off with my writing. And I was in a routine of writing seven days a week and I wanted things to stay closed. So I would stay focused. So and you, I finished you, it. Mm, the lockdown, uh, you know, is a fuel. You, you, I mean, you, you utilize the lockdown so as to fuel and propel yourself into finishing this new book that I'm going to ask you about at the, towards the end of the podcast because we have quite a few books, existing ones to cover. <laughs> I mean, published <laughs> ones. Okay, uh, let me... Here in Cyprus, things are more relaxed. I mean, we're, we are... We have sort of gone to the last phase, mm -hmm. but, you know, things are not very certain yet because of the airports and the tourism. So hopefully mm -hmm. things will go back to normality. Let me take you a, a few years back. Actually, we talked before that it's a five-year anniversary since yes. we left the, cor the corporate world. Happy anniversary, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, five years this month. And, and it's funny that I, it didn't occur to me. You had to be the one to bring that to my attention. <laughs> I missed my anniversary. 2015. Yeah. So yeah. You, you were leading a team of around 30 people in your previous, previous career in the learning and development, I think, um, sector. So I worked in operations management before yeah. that, and that was the team of 31 people. And then I moved into learning and development. I had a smaller team in that okay. role. Mm -hmm. uh, so do you have, and you left completely the corporate world and you became a freelancer and a coach and writer. And then the, your new journey began to unfold. Do you have any regrets leaving the corporate world and going solo? None, because I really wanted to do it sooner than I did, but mm. I allowed fear 
to keep me where mm. I was because I had this mentality of, oh, I had a steady paycheck. And I think what COVID has taught us is there really isn't such a thing as job security. So you might as well mm. do things on your terms. Uh, that's a great angle to bring into the discussion because I want to ask you the following. Uh, your career pivot and your career shift, uh, was it the sort of spark to the fuel to what followed next? Because I know that you are a career coach, so your own personal transformation journey was the spark or the sort of the, 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 the key ingredient that led you to develop, develop into who you are today. Does it make sense? I mean, am I making sense? Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. So I was... I was good at my job. I was mm. responsible for associate development and training in the organization for onboarding of associates. So I had a team mm. of people who did that, and I was responsible for process improvement and strategy and things like that. But I, I just woke up every day just not wanting to go to my job, and I didn't really have any idea why. I had a good relationship with my coworkers. I had a good relationship with my boss. There really was no reason for me to not like my job. I was effective. I was a top employee. So I, I couldn't figure out what was going on, why, why I wasn't happy. And throughout the, that process, I started doing some work with a mentor. And I started mm. doing some self-awareness exploration mm. and values exploration. And I, I hit a gold mine of of really explaining what was wrong and why I wasn't happy because I think we're too close to ourselves. So it's difficult for people to really diagnose what the problem is. So it took another person coming into my life and helping me look at my situation and why I wasn't happy, even though on paper I was successful. Mm. And I can't even tell you once I moved into what I call my zone of genius, I didn't create that term. That's Gay Hendricks, who, who's credited with that term. When I moved into my zone of genius, that's where I'm in that state of flow. I'm really good at the things I do. I really love the things I do. That changed everything. I didn't even realize it was possible to enjoy my work as much as I do. I told my husband the other morning, I feel like I'm getting paid to play. <laughs> that's incredible. Um, I had a similar experience and story when I, because I also did a leap. I was uh, a lawyer for 15 years, a partner in a big organization, and I had a very similar experience. I was not, I was not happy and content. I'm burned out, but I couldn't find the right moment in time to quit. And it is through a coach. A coach helped me understand that. Uh, quitting is not the end of the world, first of all. Secondly, I didn't really care continuing the path I was at. And the facilitation of the coaching session, it was a single coaching session that tipped the scale for me, led me to the path that I am right now. So, uh, which brings, which begs the question as to when is a good idea for somebody to shift and to change and to, and, and to do a career shift? Is it possible to ascertain that? Is it only possible to do it through a coach? 
when is the right time to quit or to change careers? That's a, a great question. So I will say that it's not sustainable to stay in a situation that you're miserable in because eventually other people are going to get clued in that you're unhappy and they might proactively let you go first. It could start to affect your performance. You start procrastinating when you're trying to avoid things that you don't like doing. Mm. So as far as the a good time, I do think that as soon as you realize you're not happy, you need to start having a plan. I'm not the type of person who will say, just leap and quit your job. It'll all work out. I think that you need to be smart about it. So what mm -hmm. I did was I saved six months of expenses. Mm -hmm. I recommend saving three if you're in a dual income home. And if you're single, save six months of expenses and then figure out what is it that you might do next. So you, you can do a few exercises. You don't have to work with a coach. What are the things that you must have in your next career move to feel happy and fulfilled and satisfied? What does that look like? What do you want? And what do you mm. absolutely want to avoid? So think about your experiences. What were times that you were happiest, most fulfilled and satisfied? And what are things that just really are a deal breaker for you? Is it getting micromanaged? Is it commuting in traffic? Like what is it you don't want? And then think about all the times that you were happy in your life and write down a list of mm. all the things it's, it's kind of like an ideal day exercise. So even if you hated a job, what did you love about it? And once you pull out all the things that you loved, it starts to give you a sense of what an ideal day looks like. And then talk to people who know you and do an exercise on what I call your reflected best self, where mm. people reflect back to you. What is the value that you really bring? So it could be people in your family. It could be people you've worked with that have reported to you. Just ask people if they'd be willing to give you feedback on what is better because I'm there? What's different because uh, I'm there? What's the value that I bring? And when you start to have all of these key words of what you're good at, what you want on your dealmaker list and what an ideal day looks like, you can start messing around on, on job boards, for example, with some of the key words to see what's out there that I hadn't considered. Or mm. do you want to work for yourself? You can take the entrepreneurial um, assessment by Gallup called the Builder 10 Profile at gallup.com mm. and see what your entrepreneurial talents are. I think it's 20 US dollars for that assessment. But if you start to gather data and the, what are the patterns? And if you're not good at finding patterns, talk to somebody mm -hmm. who's strategic, a friend, and say, what are the patterns that you see in all of this information? And, and then if you're not getting anywhere, then you could consider reading my book, UMAP, which walks you through the process of, of self-discovery. Um, oh, well, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I've got it. You know I've got it, yeah. Yeah, but I always try to help people do the free option first. And then if that's not working out, try the book. And if you just really are the type of person who needs to work with someone, uh, I don't I do not do individual coaching, but you could find a coach at myumap.com and someone who can work with you. They're all well-trained on how to help people find their next. I think, uh, Christine, uh, in my experience, uh, and what you're saying makes perfect sense that People are allowed and encouraged to seek to redesign their careers and their lives mm -hmm. in ways that are meaningful to them. I, I, I strongly believe in that. I mean, we need to have the audacity, you can say, or the bravery or the courage to make our lives 
better. But I think that that's I think that that's the, the key problem is that pe many people, uh, especially when they are in an environment that they feel burned out and they feel demotivated and, and, the, and their morale is really low, they don't really they cannot really see that they have the right to seek happiness. Mm -hmm. They have the right to try to make their life better. Then they feel doomed. That's my experience. Who am I to design a job in a way that will make me happy? You know, jobs are meant to be um, soul-wrenching. Uh, uh, jobs are meant to be boring. Jobs yeah. are meant to be, you know... I think the first thing is for, 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 for us to understand that we have the right to seek to make our jobs more fulfilling. And yeah, you know, there's, there's happy, something you know? very specific. When people are unhappy and they don't like their jobs, there's something specific wrong and they just don't know what it is. You're either not using your natural talents to do, to, mm. do, to do it, so you feel like you're swimming upstream, like you're going against the grain of yourself, uh, the environment you're in or the manager you're working for doesn't honor your values. They violate mm -hmm. your values either on a daily or weekly basis. You're not doing things that are in that preferred zone of genius from a skill mm -hmm. standpoint, or it just doesn't fit who you are, your personality. There's something wrong. And if you break down and look and see all the things that are important to me, are those being violated here? then you need to leave that organization or at least that manager. If you're not using the skills you enjoy or the strengths you enjoy, you need to actually career transition into something else. So there, there are ways to actually get down to what's wrong. But you're right. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people do think, well, every job is, is it, it is, it's called work for a reason and every job sucks. Well, mm -hmm. I work really, really hard and I work quite a number of hours, but I'm having so much fun. I have to try and restrain myself to work as much as I want to, because I, I would work all around the clock. I'm having so much fun. And I did, even I didn't think that was possible. I thought, yeah, there's going to be things that you hate about every job, but you know, there's nothing I hate about my job because I have an assistant who's wired opposite of me. So all the things I don't like, she loves. Mm. So we, we work well together because we play off each other's talents. Uh which leads me to UMAP in a, in a way, because I think, uh, and I would like to talk about the three pillars of the book or the three ingredients of the, the, the job redesign or the career redesign, if you may. Uh, first of all, how did you come up with the title UMAP? Um, I was just walking down the hallway and it popped in my head. So, <laughs> so I was talking to somebody on the phone recently and I'm trying to remember who I was talking to, but they said something along the lines of, or maybe it was, they sent me a Facebook message. I don't know, but I, I was either reading or listening and mm -hmm. they said that they said something along the lines of that. There's all of this creativity and innovation that floats around the universe waiting for a willing recipient. <laughs> so that's probably where I got it from, but <laughs> I don't know. It just popped into my head and I just knew it was right, and I went from there. And so, like you, brand Marvel everything. I brand UMAP everything as well. It's the name of my company. It's the name of my profi <laughs> profile. It's the name of the book. It's the name of the certification program. Yeah, mm. everything. 
and it it also suggests that you know you know you you are the map or you have the map to your a, next a map of you <laughs> it's a map of yeah, you yeah map of you uh, it's 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 precisely that and it's i think it's spot on in that way uh, uh, i've seen in the book that you 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 basically talk about the three pillars uh, of the model that you suggest and you provide there's four four there's four yeah there's a, okay it's a find yourself right oh there's i'm sorry you're right there are three modules in the book modules, that's yeah, right modules. find yourself blaze your pastor of the world my mistake yes yeah. the four the four pillars of career are, yeah it's a different thing the yeah. modules okay let's take the modules i'm very interested about about uh, the idea behind them so find yourself is the first module when we're mm -hmm. talking about the career shifts, which is uh, one of the key points of our talk, first of all, you need to develop the self-awareness, right? Mm -hmm. So as to understand what you said before, who am I? What am I not? What do I value? Am I correct? Uh, what motivates me? Mm -hmm. With what types of people would I rather work with or what kinds of manager uh, should I have? What wraps me the wrong way? Is it sort of the idea behind this uh, module? Finding yourself goes to the idea of understanding who we are and giving, a, giving us the luxury of knowing who we are before we delve into the next step of where to go next. Well, if you look at what people do, the first thing that people do when they lose a job is they say, mm. okay, time to brush up my resume. They're focusing outwardly. So everyone mm. tends to look outward. What's out there, they look at job boards, they get hire someone to do their resume. That's all outward facing activities. And I can't tell you the number of people who've, who've written me and said, hey, I just lost my job. Let me know if you hear of anything. Hmm. I don't even know what you do. I don't even know what you're looking for. And so people don't know what to tell you. If they had said, you know what? I have my Six Sigma black belt and I'm looking for a process improvement role in a medium-sized financial institution because I'm really good at saving companies money by improving processes. And last year I saved my company a million dollars. I'm going to remember that. And the next hmm. time someone says, hey, we're looking for a process improvement person, that person's going to pop into my head. But when you just say, let me know if you hear of anything, and that's what people say, I'm going to yeah. for forget about you. I won't even remember. So it's, it's not just knowing yourself isn't just for clarity and confidence and being able to pursue mm -hmm. the right things. It's also, it also enables you to really share a compelling message so people can truly understand your value and they can mm -hmm. help you or know if you're the right fit for what they're looking for. Th that goes to the show the world module, right? Yeah. Not. So find yourself is that inward look. Am I on the right track? This is the time to, mm. th to think about, should I pivot into something else? Should I look for a, a promoted uh, version of what I was doing, like a promotion? Should I go deeper? Am I more of a subject matter expert? Mm -hmm. Here I am climbing the ladder, getting further and further away from what I really want to do. And then blaze your path is now, well, how do I take all the information I learned about myself mm. and look at my opportunities and make a decision on the opportunity that's going to be best for me? And then show the world is, okay, lock and load. We're ready to share the message with other people 
through practical methods like my LinkedIn profile, mm. like like job interviews, like cover letters and resumes. And so I, I help people with some guest contributors in the book really be able to share a compelling message. Because I'll tell you, when I was hiring people, one of the things I looked for was confidence. I loved hiring, not cocky people. I loved hiring confident people. And if you are not really sure if you're a good fit for a role, if you don't really know what your assets are and what you bring to the table, if you don't really clearly understand what you do best that they need most, you're not going to go in there projecting confidence that I am the right person for you. And I really think that's not very compelling because if you think about it, probably about 80% of people, I've read statistics that like 75% of managers don't feel they're competent for their job. So you've got all these people walking around with low confidence and imposter syndrome and Mm. people pick that up in the job interview. Which, which makes sense. uh, I think Christine, because especially if you are considering a career pivot, uh, Developing your pitch or developing your your sense of what it is that you want to be doing next uh, will also help you uh, cut through the noise as well. I mean, okay, now having the luxury as an employee to choose uh, a career, especially nowadays with the COVID, is not that easy. But I think that the clarity, that, that, that by having the clarity to know what you don't like, and to spearhead your, let's say, your new adventure or job search with the specifics that you are looking for, uh, this is more likely to lead you to what is expecting you than to, you know, as you said, to a potentially new failure in your career path. Yeah, and you it's know, really, this, it's, hmm? it's really not that difficult to to create that conversation it's hard for people mm. but it's it's really if you break it down into a formula it's really easy what are you looking for and if you don't know you're not ready to be putting yourself out there yet but what are you looking for i'm looking for a role where i can do this if it's if you know the industry if you know the size of the company mm. if you know the target company i'm looking for a talent acquisition role at amazon like if you know what you want say what you want And then what are the skills, the strengths, and the experiences? So I have 10 years of experience in talent acquisition with a placement rate of 99%. And uh, in in 18 months, 95% of my my hires are still in place. Like just say something that proves proves out that you are uh, skilled at whatever it is you're looking for. And that really shows the results that they can expect. So what are you looking for? What are the strengths and and skills that you bring to the table? And what is the value that they're going to expect to receive from you? Think about two people. One person Mm -hmm. comes up to to you in a networking conversation. They're like, oh, yeah, I'm looking for a job. Oh, what are you looking for? Well, you know, uh, times are tough. I'll just take anything really. And then someone who comes up and says what I just said, it's who are you going to, who are you going to notice? Who are you going to want to help? You have to help people help you. Mm. Listen, I think you are very correct in that. And you, you may, you you even need to employ some effective communication and salesmanship uh, skills in pitching for your new job or your new career milestone. 
uh, and it certainly helps to know where you're going. But my 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 question is: if I don't know where I where I am, if I don't know what's what specific new path I want to take next, what's what do I do? I I, I stay where I am mm-hmm. until I figure it out. I quit with a buffer or whatever for a few months and I try to work things out. Let's see, how do I transition from my current, let's say, unhappy uh, work experience into the the future, into the career of my dreams until I figure out what that is? Okay, so that's how, how, it's not as hard as people think. People say, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I'm trying to get here and go there. But guess what? This, the movement isn't one step. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not moving from an operations manager. So I transitioned from IT, software development, into mm-hmm. operations management. You don't just go from A to – everyone thinks that their career move has to be the next step instead Linear. of lay, laying – right, instead mm-hmm. of laying the foundation. So here's what you do. You do this exploration and you do that ideal day and the things you like doing and what are some some opportunities. Then you look at job descriptions. What are they asking for? Mm. What are the gaps? And you maybe list three or four opportunities you're interested in. What are the gaps that I would need to fill? Do I need a SAS certification? Do I need an Azure certification? Do I need a degree for this? Can I just reorganize my resume with transferable Mm. skills? So what Mm -hmm. are my gaps? And then how feasible is it to fill those gaps? So you have to rate low, medium, high, which opportunities is there a pretty high opportunity, is there a pretty high chance that I could fill those gaps? And you do that over time. So maybe you take, there's so many free courses online at, at recognized cert accredited mm. institutions nowadays. Can you take some classes? Can you get a mentor? Can you look for stretch opportunities where you are to do some of those things? So I'll give you an example. I was managing a woman who was a training coordinator. She delivered instructor-led training. She led new hire orientation and she managed our learning management system. So she had a technical piece to her role, but she wanted to get into UX design. So what I did was I hooked her up with a mentor in our organization. She started to take some classes on her own. We, I connected her to do some stretch projects in our design team and she started to have just little projects on the side that as part of her professional development. And that's what she does now because she just took little steps working with a mentor of someone who's in the field she wanted to be in, taking some classes, doing some hand-on stretch projects. And before you know it, you've got the class on your resume. You've got the project that mm. you completed on your resume. It's incremental. And so you just start laying the foundation for that and eventually you can move over into it. So I had a five-year plan to transition my career and it took me four. And I went from a programmer, a software developer, to leading a learning and development group in four years because I decided that if I went into operations at that company and I learned the business, that that would bring value to the learning environment because I understood the bread and butter of the business. I understood how the business worked. So what did I do? I reached out to the learning. Well, first of all, I got into operations. I networked in the company. I went and and did a job doing Mm. um, business intelligence. So I understood the business from the back end, from a data, because I could move from IT into analytics. So now I was analyzing the data in the business and creating business insights. 
that allowed me to move into operations. Then I contacted L&D and said, look, I'll help be a content subject matter expert for your courses since the courses are all based on our for operations employees mostly. So I volunteered to be a subject matter expert. I reviewed their training. I gave feedback. I volunteered to conduct some of the training. So I went and facilitated. So by the time a position came open in L&D, everyone in that department knew how helpful I was because I had helped them and helped lead courses. So it made perfect sense. So it's all about relationship building. It's about mm. what are the in incremental skills that I need to be building toward that? How can I get a mentor in that area that will guide me on what I need to know and do? I'll tell you what, Philippos, the number one thing you need to have is initiative because people do mm. this. Well, I want to get a job. Can you tell, tell me if you know anyone? Instead of coming to you and saying, um, Philippos, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and I see, you know, A, B and C person at this company. I'm interested in joining the organization and here's why. And mm. would you mind introducing me for an informational interview? That shows initiative. I will help people who do that. But 99% of people are like, oh, just can, oh, yeah, can you introduce correct. me to someone? Yeah. You You've got to show initiative. Mm. What I also I get think about, about that. <laughs> what, I, what I also think about initiative is this: is that I mean, you are you are vertical and horizontal. Uh, let's say progress and and mobility in the organization where you worked for for so many years is really compelling, and uh, I mean, you basically created the circumstances mm -hmm. needed for you to pivot from one department to another, yeah, from computer to operations, that to L&D, how? By taking initiative, right? Mm -hmm. So, but the vast majority of people I know in organizations, especially in my area of the world, they do not take initiative. They stay in a cubicle and they simply live within the, confi the, the confines of their job description. Yeah. So the idea that my manager or my leader or my boss or my employer will see and understand and ascertain that I'm unhappy, it's the, the illusion of transparency, right? Mm -hmm. that, but they, they can see I'm unhappy. Why do I need to bring it up with them? They, they can see and they don't do anything about it. So it's a vicious circle of, mm -hmm. uh, which can lead many people to depression. Why? Because, okay, I'm, I'm in a certain, let's say that I am uh, an accountant, okay, in a, in a big, let's say big for firm. I'm, an, I'm unhappy. I'm doing audits. I'm doing uh, financial reporting. I'm unhappy. I would rather be doing blockchain related advisory stuff, okay? within the same firm, within the same firm. But because I, I, have, I am under the illusion that my superiors know that I'm unhappy and they do nothing about it, I do nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, in my experience, I like that there is a truism that we have in, in Cyprus and in Greece that we are not trees. We are not trees. <laughs> right. I mean, if you are not happy, you know, you need to move. I mean, you need to move and it's up to you to create the circumstances. As you said, the networking, the relationships to put, to create a business plan or whatever so that you can get closer to where it is that you want to go. Mm -hmm. In my case, for example, 
I really, I was really enjoying uh, delivering presentations to lawyers, training them. So although I was a bit burned out doing corporate law and taxation, I had a, a frank discussion with our HR manager, a great lady, and I took things, I took initiative to take things where I wanted to take them. So the initiative is key because to redesign your job or to augment mm -hmm. it and to add elements of it that you enjoy, if you don't move and if you don't take initiative yourself to get there, and you are correct, you need milestones. You may need some certificates. You may need to nurture some relationship with some other key players in the organization, but it's doable. Yeah, it's well, absolutely doable. I've yeah. transitioned my career five times. And I'm not talking going from a business analyst to a project manager. I was working in, in nonprofit. I worked in state government in, an, in a university. And then I was a programmer. And then I was an analytics person. And then I was an operations management. Then I was an L&D. And now I'm an entrepreneur. I was not qualified for most of the jobs that I was offered. But my ambition and the initiative is what got attention because mm. the majority of people take the path of least resistance. So I teach this to my sons. So when my sons take a copy of their resume, when they go to their, their 19 and 22, when they take a copy of their UMAP and their resume to a job interview, when they ask intelligent questions, they get offers in the interview because most of the kids are like, no, do you have any questions for me? No, hmm. no. You know, they just... So they stand out. It's not hard to stand out, Philippos, because most people mm. are taking the path of least resistance. So just a few little things to stand out. And, and you said something really key when you said about designing your job. I mm. always remind people, you are the architect of your career, not the leadership in your organization. Your manager's job is to support your development, but you own it. And I've always loved the Jim Rohn quote that says, if you don't design your own life plan, mm. chances are you'll fall into someone else's plan. And guess what they have planned for you? What Not much. <laughs> Not much. Because they have their own story, plans yeah. for themselves. It's what uh, Gary V. I I remember a, a short video by Gary V. saying, you know, it got viral. If, if you are not dreaming big enough for yourself, who is going to, no one is going to do it for you. Mm -hmm. Meaning that, I mean, no one will, will take you where you want to go if you don't decide it for yourself. The other point I wanted to raise in the context of pivot, pivoting, how compelling uh, is the imposter syndrome, uh, and which is often at play when you try to pivot into a new environment where you maybe you do not you do not really feel as strong as you felt in your previous job do you think that this the imposter syndrome is something that uh, prevents people from pivoting or which takes a, a significant toll or erodes the confidence for doing the next step yeah the absolutely feel, like a fraud or feeling insufficient in your yes. new yeah, so I did research on this exact topic for mm. the book we'll talk about later. I did research on this topic, and the majority of people will not apply for a job unless they meet most of the requirements because mm. they just feel like, well, they're not going to hire me, so I'm not going to waste my time. 
that that is not mm. true that is not true if you sh- if you stand apart and set yourself apart and you show that you're hungry for it not in a not in a stalker kind of way but if you really show your demonstrate your interest you take the time to map out all of your results that you've got like you look at the job description what do they want what do I have that relates to that? 85% of skills mm. are transferable from job to job. Mm. So I once had a client who said to me, I said, you'd be a really good business analyst. And she was working, uh, doing billing at a chiropractor's office. <laughs> and she said, I don't even know what that is. Well, she had technical writing in her background. And I said, well, the mm. two things that business analysts do most is they liaise between groups and they gather requirements and they write this documentation and they're that liaison between the groups to get the software built. And so I said, have you ever liaised between groups? And she said, oh yeah, as a technical writer, I had to liaise between all the groups. And I said, have you ever gathered requirements? And she said, well, yeah, I had to gather requirements for the technical manuals I was going to write. I'm like, so you already have the transferable skills. It doesn't matter what the job title is. People look at a job and say, oh, I've never done that before. But when you break down the job, it's it's leading people, managing meetings, mm. managing deadlines and, and processes. It's it's liaising. It's managing emotions. It's dealing with conflict. It's delegating. It's mm. writing. It's editing. Like, mm. yeah, that's what the job is. The job is a series of skills, and you don't even know what you've got in your backpack because you mm. just look at your job title and not your toolkit of things that you have. I've read something that I think you – you is it, was it on your – LinkedIn profile that if you are on the inside of a jar, you cannot see the label outside. Is it? Is it yours? Yeah, I always say you can't read the label <laughs> when you're inside the jar. <laughs> because you don't really realize the transferable skills that you have accumulated over, nope. you know, your previous career, and you think that everyone is born with communication skills. Everyone is born with meeting deadlines, time management. But really, you are correct. It's a matter of um, ascertaining through the self-awareness and the introspection that we said. Wait, hold on a minute. I mean, I can go out and sell. I can go out and, and, and talk and communicate. And I mean, these are negotiate. These are all yeah. powerful skills. Yeah. Um, mm. Okay. okay let so me- you know that you know what the analogy I use to help people understand this. Your whole career, all you've done is swim in a four-foot pool. You can touch the ground, you, you're familiar, you can reach the sides, just this little kiddie pool. And all of a sudden, this big hand picks you up and drops mm. you into a 12-foot pool. And you're like, I can't do that. I've never been in a pool where I can't touch the bottom. It's so deep. It's so huge. And you get dropped in the pool. But what happens? You flail around for a minute, but then you're like, mm. wait a minute. I know how to swim. I can do this. And you start swimming. And then someone picks you up out of the 12-foot pool and drops you into the ocean. Oh, my goodness. I can't swim in the ocean. I've never swam in the ocean. But you know how to swim. And so you'll flail around a little bit at first in that new environment. But those things that you know will kick in. You have to trust that you'll be able to figure it out. And now I'm That's not saying thing. to go from being a dental hygienist to a brain surgeon, like specialty, mm. specialty occupations, you obviously need training. But when we're talking about the business world in particular, 
those skills transfer. They're portable competencies you can pick up and drop into a different situation and know what you're doing. You know, I've read a quote uh, a few months before I, I left my previous job, which went like this. I can't remember the writer. It said, you know, sometimes you know it's time to try something new and trust the magic of new beginnings. Uh, basically, what you said is correct. Unless you take that leap of faith and you make that leap into the new, to, to the bigger pool or into the ocean, uh, you will not be able to, to see how capable you are and how yeah. competent you are. Um, I had a guy ask me a question early in my mm -hmm. career. He tried to offer me a job that I wasn't qualified for. And I kept trying to decline the job. And I said, mm -hmm. I'm not qualified for this job. I don't know how to do these things. And he said the most important thing of my career. He said, I'm not asking you if you know how to do this. I'm asking you if you can learn it. And that reshaped my thinking. Mm. Can I figure it out? Can I read books at night? Can I practice? Of course I can learn it. And that's what I did. I accepted the job and it was a learning curve, like a crazy learning curve because I was not a technical person. But can you learn it? And so you only really have to be able to connect some stories to the things that you know. And if there's one piece of the job, like I hired someone who didn't have learning management experience when I was in L&D, but she had facilitation experience and she mm. was really great with people. I can train her on the learning management system. It's not rocket science. I wanted the things that she brought to the table, her confidence that she was that first friend of the employees and, and really could build good relationships with people. That was way more important to me than if she knew how to add courses to a learning management system. You can't teach attitude. You can't teach mm -hmm. that confidence. You can't teach those relationship uh, building skills with, to, compared to someone who has them. And, but I can, you can train anybody to use a learning management system. So it was a no brainer for me and she worked out to be a great hire. More managers need to have that mentality of looking at potential, mm. not looking at people's backstory. Yeah, can you learn this? It's a different prism if you think about it. It's a completely different mindset if you ask somebody whether they can learn something. So you, you, you encourage them as well to look at things in a more promising way. And talking about managers, Christine, you gave me a pass to pivot into your next book that, that really caught my attention as well. <laughs> your, your, your team loves Mondays, right? The right, the question is right? the, uh, the emphasis. What does it take to love Mondays? Is it easy? Is it, is it the default setting or is it the default setting to, to hate Mondays? So I think most people come to work motivated and then mm. things start to demotivate them. Everyone comes to work wanting to do a good job, but then there are things that demotivate them. So you can get demotivated because you're not a fit for the role. You don't have the traits. You don't have the natural orientation, but then you can have a manager that demotivates you. They're not flexible with you. They don't help you with a career vision that you don't feel valued by them. Mm. There's no development opportunities. They have poor leadership skills. That could be poor communication. It could be the number one thing when I do management workshops that people say, 
that they don't like about their manager is their manager is threatened by their strengths and skills, like what Mm. they do well. And so they want to keep them under a a lid so they don't shine Mm. and outshine their manager. There could be conflict on the team that, that the manager ignores, or they, they could be the one introducing conflict or they could create these unrealistic workloads where they're like just hammering you with too much work or not enough meaningful work. The realistic workload goes both ways, too little challenge or way too much challenge. So when people Mm. are, when managers are doing those things, instead of looking for opportunities to praise you for your good work or encouraging openness in your relationship with them, uh, really promoting autonomy for you and, and helping you make your own decisions, mm. treating you fairly, being supportive. There's so many things like being open to the feedback that your team gives you, treating a mistake like a learning opportunity instead of making person feel like they're awful because they made a mistake, which everyone does. And what managers really don't do is capitalize on the talent of their people. There are people who have untapped potential and the best managers find that untapped potential and give their employees opportunities to expand their reach and their impact. I find, and you quote a Gallup survey, that nine out of 10 people are not naturally wired to become managers. Is mm-hmm. correct? So right. if, you combine, if you combine that with a, a, a separate statistic, again by Gallup, saying that 85% of employees are not engaged, <laughs> I think that you know, that's a recipe for disaster um, out of the box right there. So, as you know, I, I devoted uh, my last book on 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 the on the on the, on the topic of engagement, the Marvel, uh, and I'm still I'm still trying to get into the grips of the whole of the puzzle of motivation. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end of the day, I think that managers uh, are the critical factor uh, in in retaining uh, team members. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the quality of management is perhaps the make it or break it for me. And managers without and managers need training. I think. Oh managers yeah. Need training. yeah. Yeah, because what you just said, nine out of ten people are not wired. Uh, most people who are strong individual contributors are accountable. Mm-hmm. But then when you put an accountable person into a leadership role, they don't delegate because they want to take ownership of everything themselves or they micromanage people because they're Mm. accountable for it and they don't transfer accountability and authority and decision making to the employee that they're delegating to. So a lot of times when people are are excelling as individual contributors, they're promoted to managers and they're Mm. really set up for failure because you almost have to be antithetical to the to the power to the strong individual contributor to be a good leader you have to know how to yeah. let go you have to know how to share um, the glory and mm. highlight and spotlight your team and you're used to getting all that yourself as an individual contributor yeah there is a mi- i think there is a mismatch in the qualities of a of a great executioner compared to a great manager so the, you know you're correct. The default uh, path of into management is you are a great executioner, you are a great performer. Let's make you a manager. Okay, yeah. you deserve more, 
you deserve more money, you deserve more benefits because you bring more benefits to the firm. So let's make you a manager. Uh, you're absolutely correct. I think that the recipe for being a good manager is completely different and antithetical as well. Uh, and another dimension that I, I think is relevant, and we can wrap this up later on with, uh, uh, with the management topic, is the, the intergenerational dynamics in the workplace also have a major impact. Um, something that you also mentioned in your UMAP book, uh, which has to do with the values, al values alignment, is a big chapter for me. Uh, I think that uh, a mismatch in values is often uh, overlooked by organizations as to why people leave. Uh, and it's the, resp the, the responsibility of both the employees and the organizations to understand whether they are a good fit for each other. You know, and uh, that's a big one, especially in the area of law and accounting where there are there is a lot of, there are huge amounts of money at stake. Sometimes corners are being cut. Uh, so there, there is a lot of that going on. Mm -hmm. I think that a, a mismatch in values is also a component of demotivation. Uh, the challenge, you mentioned the challenge, if, if, you, if, if employees are extreme, are over-challenged, they can panic and they can, you know, they can suffer from anxiety and you lose them. If they are under-challenged, they get bored. So I think that it's a, it's a, it's a never-ending um, cycle of, of, uh, of, of continuous work. What do you think is uh, the new environment? H how is the management landscape affected by COVID? I think, it's I think it's really difficult because a lot of, of managers are not meeting regularly with their employees as it is. Mm. And so now you've got this distributed environment where people aren't together. And we already have this issue of assumptions, right? People make assumptions about people's behavior. I make assumptions about mm. why you gave me that feedback. You make assumptions about why I did something the way I did. And assumptions are really what create a lot of interpersonal conflict. We assume someone's motivation instead of just opening, open, being open and talking about it. Mm. But now you don't have the benefit of body language um, or any of that. So now you're removing different aspects of communication and you just have, you know, this voice. But I, I talk to a lot of people and it shocks me when they say, no, I don't have regular meetings with with my manager, it's like having a, a car. You you get this brand new car. It's like the brand new employee, and you drive it and you drive it and you drive it. But you don't check the oil. You don't check any any of the instrumentation. You just keep driving it, and then one day you're on the side of the highway and it just breaks down. That's what happens with the relationships. If you're not building the relationship, the smallest thing is going to break that relationship down. And and how do you know what's going well? What could be different or better? What's preventing the improvements? What needs to change? How can I help you? Who's having those conversations if you're not meeting? You're absolutely correct. In my book, I mentioned, uh, I, I used the, the example of the Valentine's dinner. You know, that you, know, you have this couple that, uh, you know, the, 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 their marriage is collapsing. And 
once in a year, they have this Valentine's dinner and they sing their praises and they give gifts. And at the end, what I say is that, I mean, if you expect that going on a Valentine's dinner once a year is going to help you save your marriage, you know, it's, the, it's, it's, the, it's the same as expecting that your annual performance review uh, will keep your your employees motivated and engaged. So you need you're absolutely correct. You need constant communication, uh, especially now with the COVID. That the distance is even, you know, the chasm is even bigger. Mm -hmm. uh, the physical and the mental as well because of a number of things going on in the psychology of people, uh, and the the challenges are there for many to grasp. We, Christine, we are. Almost one hour, you see, and we have, I have material here for three podcasts. <laughs> I think we, uh, let me move to the next point concerning your new books, because I've really lost count of the books that you've published and the ones coming up. I've seen that, you, and then we will see some, a few comments, and I will let you take the stage and tell me about your future plans. First of all, let, tell me about the new, you've got gifts, children books. Sounds like a mini UMAP sort of uh, yeah. spin-off spin for, for kids. What's yeah, that about? Yeah, I'm really, really excited about You've Got Gifts. So You've Got Gifts is, act, is a practical but fun book to actually walk kids through and identify their actual strengths. So it's not just, oh, you're special and you've got gifts. Mm. It, it, it's, it actually, it teaches the kids. So there's a fun story, but then at the back, it teaches them how to build their own talent story. And there's an activity for teachers as well as parents to engage in meaningful conversations for kids to look inward at what they're naturally good at. And the reason I wrote this book, and it's the first one in the world, by the way, because when I went to, when my publisher, really? wow. yeah, when my publisher gave me the, the list of categories, there is no category for children's um, fiction or nonfiction for talents or strengths. It, the category doesn't exist. So I'm like, I had to pick other categories because there's no category to help kids discover their talent. If you there's can your creative genius. There's your creative genius. <laughs> well, I think so. There are other people writing books about strengths, but they're writing for an adult audience. So. You don't have a lot of children's book authors writing for this audience. But the reason I wrote for children is because in working with adults, adults would continuously tell me that when they were children, they thought that their talents were flaws because that's mm -hmm. what they were told by the adults in their life. You do this, you're to this. And it was really people looking at what I call the shadow side or the dark side of a talent. So, for example, kids that become researchers, mm -hmm. like kids who grow up to become researchers, were very curious as children. So they asked a million questions and drove their parents crazy, constantly asking questions. People who, who become... Uh, troubleshooters and problem solvers, whatever, mm. what, there are lots of roles that people are troubleshooters. They take things apart when they're kids because they want to figure out how, what's wrong with something, how things are work. So they're destructive. They're told they're destructive as children, but really they're just using their natural gifts. And I got so tired of hearing adults think that this beautiful talent they had mm. was a flaw that I thought I need to reach people sooner because we form our ideas and our beliefs by age eight. And so I wrote the books for five to eight year olds. Mm. So five to the, 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 the audience for the book is five to eight year olds. So mm -hmm. elementary, 
kindergarten, okay. kind, kindergarten to about third grade. Yeah. And this is out. The, fir the, the first one is out. It's four. It's a series of four, yeah. right? Yeah, it's um and for your for your listeners, if they go to blackrosewriting.com and they mm. either search my name or search the title of the book, I think you have to use the apostrophe for it to show up. You've got gifts. Um, you can get 15% off on pre-order right now using code pre-order2020 if you want to save some money. <laughs> it's on Amazon too for pre-order, but I don't have I'll a code pick, for Amazon. I'll, I'll pick one up for my son. Uh, it, it sounds fantastic and it's really... You know, it's. I think that it's you're doing a tremendous job. Yeah, I, I agree with you that with you that kids who run contrary to the, you know, to the the official narrative or how things should, of of, of how they should be growing up, uh, and, and you know, and, and it also stigmatizes people as well. Mm -hmm. There also, was one of the kids who was a beta reader that I was so impressed with the way he presented himself mm -hmm. and because I, I spoke with him and his mother and he did a video after reading the book and found out that he has a strength called presence and people who have presence. Wow. Yeah. Often be, go into public speaking in their roles because they can command an audience really well. They're mm. very good. They're natural leaders. Leadership is a natural mantle. And this kid was seven And he had no idea that that was th uh, the thing for him. But when he saw the gift in the book, he immediately recognized, that's me. And so now he can... Uh, I, Christina, I cannot hear you. I think the sound is... Can you check your sound? I accidentally hit the yeah, mute button. It's, back. On my it's, it's great. So the book will also will help kids see that their talents can be really developed into strengths when they grow up, right? Absolutely. And the thing I love most about the book, it, it's got a woodland fairy and all of these gifts open with fairy dust mm -hmm. and create all these images. And I'm really proud of the diversity of the book. We have differently abled kids in wheelchairs. We have kids of all different uh, uh, ethnic backgrounds in the book. So I'm really proud of the diversity because I wanted kids to be able to see themselves in the characters. But what I what I love most about the book isn't the story. I love the activity with the parents and with the mm -hmm. teachers because parents and kids, when they don't get along, it's because they have opposing talents. And a lot of people don't realize that. So for example, the parent has responsibility as a strength where they do the right thing and they do what they mm -hmm. say they're going to do and they're very accountable and they're on time for everything. And then they have a, a child that has what we call the adaptability strength. They're flexible. They can pivot. They they just stop, yeah, roll, they go with the now. And those things conflict with each other. And responsibility and adaptability, parent and children tend to have a lot of conflict. And so what I want parents to do is to have these very safe conversations. Mm. So I have questions that they can talk about. Where are we the same and where are we different? And does that cause mm -hmm. conflict for you and for me? And it's it creates this really... Um, healthy environment for them to actually talk for the first time ever. And one of the beta reader parents said to me, I'm embarrassed to say I've never had these types of conversations with my children. And I said, don't be embarrassed. How would you ever know to talk about this? Mm -hmm. It's why I wrote the book. I certainly need to pick up a copy, a copy because I, I can see where you're coming from as it regards clashes with 
with my own kids. So hopefully yeah. I will manage to. Okay. Um, a friend, let's see a few comments and then we wrap it up, okay? Let's see a few comments. Nikos Kaligas. Hello, Nikos. <laughs> Philippos, you should make three more talks with Christine. I've told you we have material for three podcasts. Uh, thank you, Nikos. Nikos wrote a few more comments. Let's see. Yorgos Terzis. Hello, Yorgos. Thank you for your comment. What about the training? Let's make some short comments uh, if we can, uh, Christine. Yep, just some briefly, yeah, he's exactly sure. right in that 66% of the people for my research for the book said they received mm. zero management training. And it doesn't have to be complicated. You don't have to pay for these expensive programs. Assign a mentor to walk alongside that person where they have check-ins. And if you just pair someone with a mentor as they're a new manager, in the organization that can go a long way if you don't have training. You can work up for training, but really on the job is where people learn. Absolutely. Uh, so a mentor on the spot is somebody who can really help you take your game to a new level. Mm -hmm. So George, you are absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. Another question by Nikos. Christine, would you really like to know your opinion on this? What to put on LinkedIn headline when you're unemployed and seeking to change career? That's Great a big question. question. Great <laughs> question. So think about three things you do best. And if you know the type of role you want, that's great. So if you want to do operations leadership, developing people, increasing profits, improving processes. So if you know the type of title you mm -hmm. want, include it. But if you don't, you can do a result-oriented result sentence. So I turn around underperforming territories. But if you do a couple of key words of the functional areas of what you really love and do best, Asking people, what do I do best? Going through that ideal day exercise. Those are keywords you can be found on by recruiters. That's fantastic. And the last one, uh, how to answer this question honestly in an interview if you left a job because you're unhappy, right? So why did you leave your last job? Let's say so, the, the, the HR asks you, why did you leave your last job? This is a really great opportunity to show how your wisdom where you say, I left my last role because there were some, uh, there were some things about the role that weren't a fit when I evaluated the skills I'm really good at, the strengths I enjoy and my values. And that's why I'm here interviewing today because I didn't want to make that same mistake. So I made sure that my strengths and skills and value to, uh, aligned to this opportunity. And that's why I'm interviewing with you today because this is a much better fit for me. So you can turn it into a positive. I wouldn't go into specifics, but you, you could say that there were some values misalignments with the culture. You, you could say, you know, it's, it's a great place. It just wasn't the right fit for my values. And that's why I researched your values at this organization and found that putting people first, respect for the individual and having empathy for customers, that aligns to my values. You can speak back the values of that organization and connect yourself to it. Flip that into a positive and connect yourself to them as the example. That's a great way of putting it. So you also you also show that you are a person of character, so that, that values matter to you. Yeah. Uh, I think that that should answer it. These are the the questions. I would also kindly ask uh, um, Christine to let us know of her future plans. I know there is another book coming up for adults, the Maximize Three Sixty Five. Can you give us a a, a sort of a, a the blurb? around that project? 
Because yeah. it sounds exciting. Mm-hmm. So a lot of advice is very motivational, but it doesn't really tell you, doesn't really give you the application and the practical information to be able to do something with it. So I wanted to write a book in five areas, health and wellness, spirituality, relationships, career, and finances. And so there are 73 entries in those five areas. And so there's an inspirational quote, but then there's a blurb about it, about the topic. Mm. And then here's an idea for action, how you can get immediately, uh, start getting immediate results. And over time, as you work through the examples in your greatest area of need, you slowly transform your life over time with this continuous uh, professional improvement. And it's personal and professional. So yeah, it's really just to maximize your life. So it's one. It, it's a page, a code, and a. Uh, They're a daily entries per day. Per yeah. Day. Oh, it's like that. That's, that's so. For example, fantastic. there's there's entries on imposter syndrome, mindless mm. eating, how to build wealth, uh, how to answer tell tell me about yourself in an interview, how to deal with conflict. Fantastic people who are crossing your boundaries and what's one thing, like sometimes people just need the language of what to say. Mm. And sometimes people need to know I'm worth it to draw these boundaries. So I do deal with the psychology. I have um, a master certification in brain-based coaching and, and a degree in neuroscience. So I bring a lot of psychology to my work. So getting your mindset in the right place and then giving you the actual tools, language or tips or tricks you need to know to move that forward so you can make a change in your life. When is it due to be so that Yeah, that doesn't come out until February of next year. It'll probably be available for uh, pre-order this fall, but it's not coming out until February. Fantastic. Any other things you would like to tell, tell our viewers about your future, future plans? And then we, we, we call it a day, Christine. Yeah, so um, the kids' books will come out every three months. So you've got you've got values, teaching mm. kids how to identify their values and uh, make sure their friends align with their values and their career choices someday. You've got skills will come out three months after that. And then you've got personality. And uh, next exactly. I'll be writing um, UMAP for relationships to use the principles of UMAPs wow. to help in marriages, in family relationships, parent-child and work relationships. You you are taking the, the 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 UMAP concept to the stratosphere of of uh, of yeah themes. relationships yeah <laughs> of relationships not just well. yeah well Christine here I think we we can call it a day I really enjoyed our conversation thank you for being a guest we you know that we share many things in common and we are passionate about quite a few uh, th- important chapters in in business and in management. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your experience and for sharing your wisdom with us. Uh, hopefully we will have the chance to do another podcast when you have uh, down the line, when you have your new book ready as well. And thank you to our viewers for, for being with us, for sharing their comments and uh, have a fantastic weekend, everyone. Thank you. Bye, bye, Christine. Bye. Bye, bye. Ciao, bye. I save a prayer for those who care. I keep the faith, but no one will dare to hold my hand until the end. When all the pieces fall into place, my body's weak, the mind is tight, but there's a fire that heals deep inside. I close my eyes.
stretch my soul to gather up the 